I don't know if you've ever heard of Jim Ryan, but he had a great athletic career. He was a world-class runner and the last American to hold the world record in the mile run. He uh, was highlighted by many magazines, uh, uh, track and field news. He won the James E. Sullivan Award. He uh, was Sportsman of the Year by uh, Sports Illustrated. And he won the silver medal in the Mexico Olympics for the 1,500-mile run and the one-and-three-mile run. He was very famous in his day. He said uh, uh, became, he started to run because he couldn't do anything else. Uh, he wanted desperately to be an athlete, but he kept trying out for teams and they wouldn't take him. He was even cut from the church baseball team and the junior high basketball team. Um, so he's, he was a Christian and he started to pray to God, if you have a plan for my life, please reveal it to me because it's not going very well. And after he prayed a while, he decided to try out again for um, a team. And um, he found himself trying out for the cross-country team and the two-mile race, and he had never done this before, but they accepted him on the team, and he was very successful in running for a time. But after a time, he started to just not enjoy it anymore, and he was running in the NCAA championship uh, race, and right in the middle of the race, he just stepped off the track, and he went off into the side, and he was heard saying by people, they heard him saying, you just saw Jim Ryan blow a big race. I didn't finish it. I lost heart, and I can't do this anymore. I give up. You know, if someone knocked on your front door and said, I've chosen you for, to be part of the U.S. Olympic team, wouldn't you be thrilled? Any of us would be thrilled. Well, if you're a Christian, Jesus Christ has already knocked on your door and asked you to be part of his team. And his team is for the kingdom of God. And you're going to be a winner if you enter into that race. And in the scripture, uh, the race analogy is very common. Even in that day when scripture was written, uh, the Olympics are really popular and well-known and talked about a lot. And the Apostle Paul, the great Apostle Paul, used the analogy of a race many times in the Scripture. And uh, the author of Hebrews even used it um, in chapter 12. But before we get to chapter 12, chapter 11, you may know, is called the Hall of Fame for Christians in the Scripture. The author goes through name after name after name of great Christian heroes of the faith who uh, suffered many things, some of them death, but they completed the race and they finished it and they received their reward. And so the writer of Hebrews is naming them and commending them. And then chapter 12, which talks about the race analogy again, starts out with therefore, and you've probably heard that when the word therefore is at the beginning of a chapter, see what it's there for. Well, it's therefore to point us back because, the writer says, of all these great 
witnesses of our faith that ran the race. We need to be careful and run the race well. And he says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us us and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, we hear about a race, and we hear the writer saying, uh, look at these heroes of faith, fix your eyes on Jesus, and be careful of the sin that so easily entangles you. Well, he doesn't name the sin, but it might be the sin of unbelief, of getting weary, of giving up before the race is done, of losing heart, because if we look at the history of even the Christian church, we see that has happened to so many people. They lag in the race or give up or become discouraged, and we don't want to be like that. Why does this happen so easily? Um, there are lots of reasons, but I will give uh, just a three uh, this morning. First, Jesus gives us a reason. In Matthew 24, he's talking about the end times and how difficult it'll be in the end times. And he was saying, because as the world goes on, wickedness becomes greater and, and the love of most people will grow cold. And the love and respect for God certainly has grown cold in our culture. Uh, we see that not very many people are afraid of God. They, uh, they ignore him, ignore the word of God, and do it their own way with no respect for God. Our culture has grown increasingly more that way, and this attitude is all around us, and, and we can so easily pick it up because we're in the world so much, and it's even in some churches and it's the tendency we have because we're so influenced by the world. So it makes it a little more difficult to stay true to the Lord. And a second reason that this happens is that we experience disappointments and we know that God is good and that he hears us when we pray. And so many times we pray and we don't get an answer or get the answer we think is what we want or what is needed. And we have a lot of trials and troubles and disappointments. And sometimes we lose heart and we lose faith in, the, in God and, uh, and the power of his love for us. I remember once uh, praying for a mother who was dying. She was a wonderful Christian woman and she had small children. And I wasn't praying for myself. I can understand why God says to no to me a lot of times. I ask her a lot. But I was praying for these children that they would have a mother, a good Christian mother, at least for a short time. They needed her longer. But she died. And I just hit 
such unbelief and doubt in my heart, a real crisis of faith, because I was asking for something that seemed so right and good, and it didn't happen. So I cried out to God. I said, God, uh, I'm losing it. I'm losing my trust in you. Just give me one word to help me believe again. And I prayed this way for many days and looked in scripture. And one time when I was just sitting very silently, I heard the words, just believe. And I knew he meant, just believe in me, just trust me. And then I remembered the other scriptures that Jesus uh, said, blessed are those who believe. He didn't say, blessed are those who have the understanding of what I'm doing and then believe. Blessed are those who believe in spite of not understanding. And the third reason that I think we so easily spin out or lose a little of our heart in, in the Christian walk is that uh, we do not do what the writer of Hebrews uh, calls us to do, fix our eyes on Jesus. We, mo we fix our eyes on each other more than we do Jesus. And we're imperfect, we're broken, and Jesus is the only perfect one, the only perfect one that ever lived. And certainly if we watch each other or other Christians in the faith across the country or the world, they make terrible mistakes and churches make mistakes and it's so easy to get disillusioned. But we are called to fix our eyes on Jesus He's the one that will help us through. And of course, these are, there are many more reasons. Those are just three. But if we look for what are the secrets of not giving up, stepping out of the race, losing faith, losing steam, we can look, I think, to the one who had as much tribulation as anyone in the scripture besides Job, and that's the Apostle Paul. He had real persecution. He had real trouble, and he finished the race strong. And let's look at some of the, his secrets of how he was able to do that. Uh, I'll read uh, 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, here's that word again, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Again, we do not lose heart. We have God's mercy. We have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth both the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. He states that the Apostle Paul, that we should expect trouble. He states that in many places. We know that in our heads. We see it in the scripture. We talk about it in church. But somehow, we don't expect trouble. When trouble comes, it seems like, why me? And he says, and Apostle, the Apostle Paul is exhorting us, you are going to have trouble. But don't forget that you have a treasure in these jars of clay. Of course, the jars of clay he's talking about is our body. They're fragile. 
They are not made of anything permanent. But we have this treasure, this surpassing power and knowledge of God within us. And Paul said, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Paul experienced it all, and many of us have experienced a lot of those things. But Paul said the secret uh, to overcoming all these things is allowing that treasure to be revealed in those jars of clay. Because in the middle of trouble and trial is when the power of Jesus comes out and when uh, we can sense that there's something beyond ourselves and then when other people can see it. And of course he's writing about the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. The, the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead can raise us up and keep us through anything and we won't lose our trust in God or our faith if we depend on that power. In the middle of a struggle, we're all are going to be human and hurt and feel weak and doubt, but that is an invitation to turn to Jesus and, and to have his power come through in all of us. Secret number two is found in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. And this reads, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we are distressed, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. You know, we all live in an I generation, and we think I but in the scripture, you notice that it's the we used more than the I, we, we. He's talking about the community of faith, the body of Christ, Christ's real church. And when we go through things, it's not just about us, but it's about the whole community. It is about us, and we grow from it, but so does the community of faith. And God works through that uh, community, but it's we, and as we go through things, to know it's not just about us, but it is so we can be a witness to the world and the community of faith, and in a way, it's a gift because we grow, and the community grows with us and learns to comfort and, and function as a body. Secret uh, three is that... Paul says is this is light and momentary suffering and it's working for our good and it's nothing compared to what to come. He's saying no matter how bad it is, it's nothing compared to what God has for us in the future. And he writes, do not lose heart for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory 
that far outweighs them all. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for us. So whatever we go through, however bad it is, he's saying it's nothing compared to what we have to come because it works for our good and it works for the kingdom's good. And God has so much more, and he's doing a work we can't understand, but just trust him. He's making us more like Jesus. Hardships in life keep us humble, and they help us to lean on God, and we become wiser and stronger. It's like a child sitting in the dentist's chair for the first time. The child is scared to death, and the mother puts out her hand and takes the child's hand and says to the child, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to hurt for a little while but it's going to be over soon, and it's well worth it. But we are all, again, you know, have times where it seems too much. I remember a time when I think it was the hardest time in my life, and I lost a lot of heart. I felt like I was going under. Things were happening to me I never expected, and I was hurting. And and I said, why, God? I knew there was no answer, but I was so angry. Why, God? Why me? If I were God and you were me, I wouldn't treat you like this, I said to him. And I think I'm going to turn away. But then I had the picture of myself like a balloon. And if you took the air out of it, it'd just go, hit the floor. I knew that without God, I would just be like empty and hit the floor. And I couldn't renounce it. I couldn't let go. I had nothing like it. And yet I was struggling. And, but, and I prayed, but God never gave me an answer, not a satisfying answer. But I was humbled, and he made me a more loving and better person. How did he do that? All I was just feeling was pain. I don't know, except that I turned to him in scriptures. And, and, and also I had a, a community of faith that helped me and encouraged me and loved me through it. And I couldn't have made it without that and a lot of little mysterious provisions along the way that only God could give. And of course, fervent prayer and above all else, seeking the word of truth and Jesus. Paul exhorts us many times to look, look at what we can see now. The most beautiful thing on earth Look at it, but also look at it with the eyes of faith and look at the worst things on earth and look at them with the eyes of faith and just know that no matter what we go through, it will seem light and momentary when we finally see what God has in store for us. We're citizens of another country, not this one. And when we get there, there will, it will be so worth it and it'll all be wiped away and we will receive our award. And he's saying the contrast is so great, we can't even comprehend it. There's no comparison. And we have, I think we enjoy our life and love this earth. There's so much about it. But remember, we remember, we're not citizens here. We represent a kingdom, and we're going to that kingdom eventually, and not uh, long off for any of us, even if we're very young, because... We may live a hundred years, but eternity is, I don't know how long, long. And, you know, we, to keep that perspective help us, helps us through life. Sometimes I think it was uh, 
we, we get so discouraged. It was like a passenger on, a, on an ocean cruise. He was so sick uh, in spite of all the medication that he took that um, he went out on the railing and um, he had motion sickness, so he did what people do with motion sickness, and he was turning green. So a steward of the ship came by and said to him, you know, don't worry, uh, it'll pass. No one ever died of motion sickness yet. And the nauseous passenger looked up at the steward with horror and said, don't say that. It's the hope of dying that's kept me alive this long. This life is not all there is, as beautiful as it can be. Uh, there's something greater, measured against eternity and what's to come. Our time on earth is just like a blink of an eye. And we have this instinct, no matter how good life is, there's always that longing for more, something beyond. And that's because God has designed us that way. A fish wouldn't be happy if, if that fish didn't have water. If an eagle couldn't fly, that eagle would be very unhappy. And we will never be completely satisfied on this earth because we were made for something more. And one day, our heart will stop beating, and it'll be the end for us, but it's only the end of our time on earth, this race on earth, this race for the kingdom of God, for Jesus. We will move from this temporary place to one which is eternal in heaven. And our citizenship is there, and we're here with a purpose and a track laid out, and we want to finish strong and stand before God with our task complete. Elizabeth El Elliot tells this story, and an older missionary was returning home after spending his, nearly his whole life ministering in Africa and going through many difficulties and, and, of course, not having very much money. He sacrificed many things, but now he was coming home to retire, and he was on a ship, and on the same ship was the president of a diamond company who had been to Africa, had discovered diamonds or was mining them, and so they were both on the same ship. And when they exited the ship, there was a parade, banners, champagne, everything was rolled out, and the president of the diamond company stood up and bragged a little bit on himself and what he had done for the company and how successful he was. And nobody even noticed the old missionary who had given his life for Christ with a cane going down the gangplank slowly. And so he got home, and he was just filled with self-pity and, and resentment. And he said, God, I've given my whole life for you. And when I c come home, I get nothing. And he heard the still, small voice saying, but my child, you are not home yet. Hopefully, none of you will grow weary and lose heart. But if you ever feel yourself going that way, don't step off the track. Because think about what the heroes of faith and even the Apostle Paul has gone through to give us the faith we have today and the scripture and all the secrets in this book of not losing heart. We want to finish strong. We are in the most important Olympic race that can be created, God's. And it isn't a wind sprint, it's a marathon. 
A wind sprint means you run as fast as you can for a short distance, but a marathon demands stamina and endurance. And we want to finish being able to say with the Apostle Paul, I have kept the faith, I finished the race, therefore there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. We don't want to be a runner like Jim Ryan and lose heart. We want to finish strong, and we will, because we have an eternal glory that far outweighs our temporary hardships. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you that you sent your son Jesus, that we could have a future and a hope that outweighs anything we can imagine or long or hope for to come. And you're with us in this race, and you give us everything we need if we turn to you. Just be with us all. We live in a tough time but you are able to keep us and use us and help us grow and give us the ability to encourage and help each other and shine for you because you are worthy, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen.